0: So I'm just starting today a brief series, and uh, I've simply titled it Reasonable Faith. I didn't get think of that title on my own. Actually, uh, William Lane Craig, who is the person behind that video that you saw, has a seminary-level or graduate-level textbook called Reasonable Faith. His organization is called Reasonable Faith. Um, I, once again, can recommend him. Look him up. William, Lane, and Craig, like our own Craig Wilson, but no Wilson, right? William, Lane, Craig. And uh, there is a book that's more accessible and understandable. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, kids starting at Jubilee's age would be able to understand this book. Um, if uh, Jubilee, did you understand the video? Did it make sense to you? Yeah? Then you would be able to understand this book, and it's simply called On Guard, right? And the idea is it is a book to help Uh, Christians defend their faith. I think there is a misunderstanding that if you believe in God, it's somehow emotional and not intelligent or intellectual. When in reality, the smartest people in all of history have been Christians, or in some cases, uh, well, definitely in many cases, Jews, right? Uh, Some of the most brilliant people in the history of the world have been Jewish, and they believe in what we would call a a theistic God. That means that this is an all-powerful personal being. Now, we have this tendency to sort of caricature God. You know, he's somehow this grandfatherly figure with a long white beard, sitting in a chair, kind of, you know, Looking around at the universe. People have all sorts of concepts about God, but I will guarantee you that God is above and beyond. Any conception that you could have of him. He's accessible in his son, through his son Jesus, but we haven't even gotten to Jesus yet, all right? Uh, now, I just preached through the Gospel of John, so you know what we believe there, and that is Christ focused from beginning to end. But what I want you to have is a reasonable faith. I don't want you to think that faith is just a matter of having a gut feeling or intuition or just that's my sense or that's how I was raised and so forth. Um, there There are good reasons to believe. So we begin, um, and this is where you can go ahead and begin my little slideshow, Autumn, and if you'll kind of follow along with me. Um, We begin with the cosmological arguments, and I I did put plural there. You saw one half of the cosmological argument. Now, you know, you can remember this if you want to sound smart, Um, but basically this is just an argument about where the universe came from or how the universe came to be. Right, and whether there is a reason for the universe, so the explanation and origin or explanation and cause of the universe so why are we here do you do you ever ask the question why? Do you, you ask the question why?" I mean we ask question the question why" about a lot of things, right uh, And this, I think, to some degree, causes people to disbelieve in God, not because he doesn't exist or it's unreasonable to believe he exists, but because they have an emotional axe to grind. They're mad at God. So, you know, this is like, I I won't get you to raise your hand here because it's kind of painful, but you also realize that your kid is going to say stuff like this occasionally. Uh, Parents in this room, have you ever had your kid say, I don't love you? But you know they're full of Bologna That's just how they feel. Okay? So what people do with God is they say, I don't believe in you. You don't exist. Because you're not doing what I want you to do. Right? Well, life is hard. Okay? Maybe you're going through a rough patch in your life. And so you would affirm that with two hands raised. Um, you know? But, but big things and little things can create... Uh, Emotional evidence for you to rail against God and try to push Him away and say, "Well, He does not exist." Uh, Yesterday, good example. This is this is moderate. Uh, Nothing like you know the loss of a child or something very very challenging that some of you could have gone through. Um, But we've had so many problems with our air conditioning in this building. It's driving me crazy. We've spent almost or above two thousand dollars now fixing all of these different units right? That's why your kids are in the back room right now because it's cool down here. I have two units that run upstairs and the one that runs the east side, which incidentally is two years old, won't work. And we've done lots of stuff. And so we know what we need to do now, but it's a huge fix. And so we're just praying that we can ride out the the end of this summer. Although obviously Texas has a death grip on the summer, right? It's autumn right now. And it's also going to be a hundred degrees out today. Welcome to chaos. So that's one thing, okay? Saturday, well, actually, this would have been Friday going into Saturday. Um, Sometime in the middle of the night, the air conditioning down here went out. Now, there's two units that run down here as well, but they run together, okay? They run in tandem with one another. And it wasn't one of them that went out. They just stopped. Nothing would work. I couldn't even turn the fan on. Now, you know, we can do this little patch upstairs where our younger kids are on that side of the building and it's still cool enough. But to be honest with you, I couldn't expect you to come to church. Right now, it's 89 degrees outside. Could you sit in this room for an hour and 20 minutes if it were 89 or 90 degrees? Some of you are hardcore and I would have, I'm not praying it happens. I'm really not. If it does, then i'm gonna I'm gonna do what they used to do back in the old days and pass out funeral fans, right? It's true, it's true. Churches used to have these deals with funeral parlors and the funeral parlors would provide fans because they didn't have air conditioning. The funeral parlors would provide fans with their advertisement on them. So if you've ever seen one of those old videos with the, you know, the ladies that are, you know, they've got all the dress and it. They, the, ladies, they, they wore so many clothes and it was like a hundred degrees. Can you even imagine this? And they're all fanning themselves like this, right? That's a funeral fan. Nonetheless, um, I'm praying through that thing. I went up on the roof so it's really weird. The air conditioners that run this building right here, this lower story, are actually on the roof of the back room back there. And so I went on the roof with a hose because sometimes they overheat. And, you know, I squirted the the condens- the compressor down and did all this stuff. And I mean, I'm just praying. I'm like, God, we have to be able to have church. This is your church. What's the deal? <gasps> why? Right? And it's like a minor Why? Um, I didn't put out, you know, some of us are really, really uh, good or bad. I don't know how you want to look at it, at posting everything that happens in our lives on Facebook, right? Um, And I do post prayer requests there because quite a few people will respond. But I didn't want people to freak out and not show up to church. I'm just praying through this. That's why you didn't get any sort of push. Hey, church, this is what we're doing, blah, 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 Saturday. Because I was about... 60 or 70% sure that the Lord was going to come through. <laughs> but I really wasn't willing to step out there and get my foot run over, you know? when I'm like, well, I think the Lord told me and I didn't know, man. I'm like, I but I'm asking why? Well, you know, if you have enough of those pile up, it can cause you to not want to believe in God, right? But this is... Uh, to some degree emotional, but also, you know, you can, you can pile up some reasons as well, okay? Um, well, there are scientists who uh, say that why is a silly question. Richard Dawkins is famous for saying that, right? Uh, you saw the, the quote uh, from uh, Bertrand Russell, I think, that the universe is, just is. It's a brute fact. Stop asking the question why. So basically, you're just supposed to extinguish your curiosity and say, well, here we are. And there's no other, you know, we're not allowed to ask questions. There's no why. Well, um, I think it would be interesting to look all the way back to a pre-scientific era uh, and look at uh, what the philosopher Socrates, uh, Plato wrote everything that Socrates uh, taught. Plato was Socrates' student. And uh, I think that what people like Dawkins do is they confuse the question why with how, okay? Well, why is that happening? And so they describe how that's happening, okay? Um, So I could ask the question, why didn't this air conditioner down here work, right? And I can ask that in a sort of uh, metaphysical way. Why, God, did you do this or did you allow this? Or I can be referring to what exactly is the problem? How does this work? And how can I solve the problem? Well, here's what happened. It took all day. I called three different air conditioning people, right? And uh, one of them who's helped us many times is just so busy because he's just good at what he does, and he's always busy. But he also always answers his phone. (laughs) Well, almost always. Sometimes he's so busy that he doesn't answer his phone. But nonetheless, uh, I got a hold of him early on Saturday, and he said, no, I can't come out there. I'm just too busy. And so my spirit sunk down below my knees. And I thought, okay, I got two other backups. Let's see what happens. But he said, no, I'll send, I'll send one of my guys. I'll send one of my guys. Well, I thought he was going to send one of his guys in the morning. So, I mean, the whole day passed. And then even one of his guys said, hey, I'm on the way. I'm going to be there in a half an hour. Two hours later, he still wasn't here. By that time, I'd called two other people. Long story short, that guy comes out, Right. And I'd never met him before. I said, are you Bardo's guy? He said, yeah. All right. So, you know, I let him in. He hadn't worked on this unit before. And I took him, you know, in the back room. So we're just going to like look at the thermostat, which is back there. And then go to the back room and look at all that junk back there. And then go on the roof last, right? So that he can see what's going on. And he just popped the little thing and he looked in there. And then he checked. And all it was, was a clogged line. I have a little compressor back there. We lit that thing up. He blew it out. Boom it came on. Wow. He discovered, he knows how that unit works. And so he knew what to test. So sometimes we confuse that question of why, but when we're talking why in here, we're talking in more of a metaphysical sense, right? Why did God allow that or cause that, or did God have anything to do with that? Um, so back to our friend Socrates Socrates has been sentenced to death by the Athenians for perverting the youth. Basically, he was teaching things that they didn't like. And so they said, we're either going to do one of two things. We're going to uh, kick you out of Athens and you'll never be able to come back. Or you can drink hemlock, which is poison, and kill yourself because we think that you're unfit to be a part of our, uh, our community, Right. So there's this, there's this long uh, dialogue. All of Socrates' teaching is laid out in dialogues. There's this long dialogue called Phaedo or the Phaedo. And in that dialogue, I think he exposes something that we don't pay attention to or think about, that we confuse how and why. So let's take a look at um, what... Uh, Socrates said here. Um, So I've got all of this. At the end of the day, he'll drink hemlock provided for him by the state and end his life. So answer the question then, why is Socrates sitting in the room with his students, right? Socrates says, It was as if a person had said that Socrates is sitting here because he's made up of bones and muscles instead of telling the true reason that he is here because the Athenians have thought good to sentence him to death and he has thought good to await his sentence. Then he says, I wonder that they cannot distinguish the cause from the condition which the many feeling about in the dark are always mistaking and misnaming. And this is what I see with scientists all the time. We think that because we know the what and we know the how, that there's no need to ask this question why. Or if we're asking the question why, it's really just another way of saying what and how. Or what, yeah, what and how. Science is good at what and how. Science is not good at why, which is why people like Dawkins simply dismiss it. Well, there's a famous philosopher much later than Socrates. This philosopher was a continental rationalist, which means that uh, he came along in the, uh, I believe, the 1700s, 18th century, uh, Leibniz. Maybe the, maybe a, a little earlier. But Leibniz said, um, or asked the question, why is there something rather than nothing? William Lane Craig paraphrases that. In other words, why does anything at all exist? Have you ever thought... That deeply? Why is there a universe at all? Why is there anything at all? And then uh, Craig says, it's the most basic question that anyone can ask, okay? So, um, the first part of the cosmological argument goes like this. Everything that exists has an explanation for its existence. You exist. There's an explanation for your existence, right? There is the instrumental cause of your existence, which is your biological parents, right? But then there is the reason that you are here. Um, Your parents met. They wanted to have a child. Uh, Maybe you were, quote, unquote, an accident. We would extend it out even further, and I would always tell people that you are significant because God created you and God put you here. But that's the leap that we must take. If the universe has an explanation of its existence, Leibniz said, that explanation is God. The universe exists, therefore, uh, God. Now, I'm not sure how convincing that is. I think I am more convinced by the idea that we are plagued with this question why, and that we really do need to try to figure out why there's anything at all. Why is there a universe? So, let's talk about whether the universe is necessary, because that's what we're really saying. Does there have to be a universe? There doesn't have to be a universe, right? Um, When we talk about something necessary in philosophy, we're talking about something uh, that it would be impossible for it not to exist. Um, As William Lane Craig points out, numbers and sets may fit into this category. A necessary being is uncaused by definition. God is the necessary being. So you are significant, I believe that, but there's a cause for your existence. So you're not necessary. Now that might sound you know, like an emotional affront to you. I'm not necessary, what are you saying? But you're not necessary, I'm not necessary, right? That doesn't mean that I'm unimportant. I'm important to other people, right? And uh, of course, important to the Lord. So God is the necessary being and that's where we find an answer to the questions, where did God come from, and who made God. Those are actually foolish questions that misunderstand the concept God. God is the necessary being. That means that he didn't come from anywhere. He's always existed. It's necessary that he exists. So nobody made God, and God didn't come from uh, anywhere. Uh, William Lane Craig says it this way, God is being itself, pure being, and is the source of being to everything else. So let's go to asking if the universe is necessary. You obviously heard my answer there. Um, Carl Sagan famously said uh, in his his, uh, television program, the universe, all there is, all there ever was, and all there ever will be. Well, if Sagan is correct, then perhaps the universe just is. It's a brute fact without explanation. But the reality is the universe is contingent. Now, what's the difference between something that is necessary and something that is contingent? Some things rely on other things for their existence. You have to have air. You have to have water. You have to have food. You have to have a reasonable temperature. Our bodies can endure uh, pretty serious cold and uh, heat for short periods of time, but not forever. If you're denied any of those things, then you die. And while those of us who are believers in a God that grants eternal life would say there is life after death, you for all intents and purposes for this life and this world cease to exist. Now, I believe that there's a spiritual side of you. I believe you're going to continue to exist and so forth. But I'm just looking at just sheer evidence. You and I are contingent beings. We are subject to causation. And contingent things and beings are what Thomas of Aquinas, uh, these things are what Thomas of Aquinas called contingent. A contingent being requires a necessary being. So is the universe necessary or contingent? Um, The ancient Greeks believed that matter was eternal, right? So maybe the universe hasn't always existed, but has matter and energy in some form always existed? So you heard the second law of thermodynamics quoted in the video. The first law of thermodynamics essentially says that matter and energy are constant in the universe. They never go out of existence. They trade places, e equals MC squared. That's what that's about, right? That matter and energy can trade places, right? Think about it this way. You put a stack of wood down here and you put some kindling under it and you light it on fire. Does the wood go away? No, it changes into energy, heat energy, and then turns to ash. It's just another way of seeing this, okay? First law for thermodynamics. Well, the Greeks believed that matter was eternal, and that includes energy since they flow in and out of each other. I just quoted the first law of thermodynamics. Up until the early to mid-20th century, science was nearly united behind the idea called steady state, that the universe was essentially in some form eternal. Okay, now we get to something that uh, is fascinating and also debatable. Um, Is there an infinite amount of matter in the universe? Has there been an infinite amount of time that the universe has existed? William Lane Craig, who's done a lot of study on this. Now, I got all of this from him. That's why I keep quoting him, okay? There's plenty of other folks that we could be quoting right now. But I'd like for you to get into his books, and so I'm going to use his, his tack, okay? Craig demonstrates clearly that an infinite amount of anything material is impossible. That an infinite amount of time or moments in time is impossible, Okay? Um, it is impossible that there should be an infinite regress of events in time. The series of past events comes to an end in the present, but the infinite cannot come to an end. If the regress that is going back going back, going back, going back okay of past events were infinite, then it would never then it would be impossible for the present moment to arrive for it is impossible to cross the infinite to get to today. How many of you were exposed to Zeno's paradox in math or philosophy? Zeno's paradox. Do you remember that one, Pastor Craig? Okay. So Zeno was an ancient philosopher, uh, even older than Socrates. And he proved, he thought with his argument that he could prove that movement or motion is an illusion, that there is no motion. And here's how he thought he proved it right he used the 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 figure in greek mythology of achilles and he said can achilles cross the stadium he said well let's just think about it this way to cross the stadium achilles has to continue to move in half steps right he's going to cross halfway across the stadium then he's going to cross half of half and then half of that and half of that and half of that but you can keep dividing that infinitely so zeno said Achilles can't cross the stadium. What would that be like? Pastor Craig would stand in the back of the room, I would stand in the front of the room, and we would each march toward each other in half steps, right? We would cross halfway across, halfway across, halfway across. This would seem to prove that it is actually impossible to move anywhere at all. Well, I think in the end, all it proves is that infinity and the idea of infinity, whether it's infinitely small or infinitely large, is a, uh, a topic for mathematics, but it's not a topic for physics, essentially. Um, so uh, put those two symbols up there, Autumn. On your left, you can see a woodcut of the, uh, the Hebrew letter Aleph. It's the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then on the right, you might be more familiar with this, uh, the, the lay, you know, the, the eight on its side, the lazy eight, it's actually called a laminisket. The aleph uh, represents an actual infinite. The laminisket represents a potential infinite, okay? A potential infinite is possible, but an actual infinite is impossible, An actual infinite, this is uh, William Lane Craig's definition, a collection of definite and discrete members whose number is greater than any natural number. An infinite number of objects is impossible. Infinitely adding or dividing objects or events is impossible. Therefore, although the universe is vast, it cannot be infinite. So now we get to this uh, very interesting illustration by the mathematician David Hilbert. Um, It is called Hilbert's Hotel, right? Um, Let me just uh, give you from what I remember of Hilbert's Hotel. I reread it. And then uh, Craig taught math forever, and so he can check my math, all right? So David Hilbert, this mathematician, asks that you imagine a hotel with an infinite number of rooms. And he says, okay, now imagine that this hotel with an infinite number of rooms is full it has an infinite number of guests in that infinite number of rooms and then somebody comes to the hotel and wants to check in can this person check in no problem all he does the proprietor simply uh, moves guest uh, the guest from room 1 to room 2 and room 2 to room 3 and room 3 to room 4 and he just pushes them all and then here you go you can check in So even though it was infinitely full, it can immediately be, a vacancy can be created. In fact, here's another really, really interesting one. Let's assume it's the same hotel, infinite number of rooms, infinite number of people filling that infinite number of rooms, and now an infinite number of people come to the hotel to check in. Can they check in? Well, of course they can. Here's all you need to do you take everybody who is in their particular room and you ask them to move to the room that is their room times two, right? So room number one goes to room two, room two goes to room four, room four goes to room eight, room eight goes to room 16, all the way up. Pastor Craig, what does that leave? An infinite number of odd numbers that the infinite number of people can come and check into. So here's this strange paradox that the hotel is infinitely full and also infinitely empty at the same time, right? So Hilbert used that uh, thought experiment as a way to demonstrate, uh, to quote William Lane Craig, the infinite The infinite is nowhere to be found in reality. It neither exists in nature nor provides a legitimate basis for rational thought. The role that remains for the infinite to play is solely that of an idea, right? So the universe is contingent. Then how did it come to be? The explanation and cause of the universe. In other words, we're saying, where did the universe come from? Well, You saw the Big Bang Theory presented in uh, very succinct detail in the video. Um, This is the most widely accepted cosmological model, first theorized by Alexander Friedman and Georges Lemaitre in the 1920s. And later, Sir Fred Hoyle derisively referred to this theory as the Big Bang and the name stuck. The Big Bang can still be measured today as universal cosmic radiation. So there are a number of scientific ways that they have measured the universe to demonstrate that it had a finite beginning. It had a beginning in the finite past and that it that it is expanding and will continue to expand, right? And what you do is you just reverse the expansion and you go all the way back. Now uh, I think they've updated the, the the time frame on this. The last time I was reading on this material, the uh, the the uh, age of the universe that they had calculated is thirteen point seven three billion years. Well. When they discovered one of the evidences was uh, the the cosmic background radiation that they would expect to have uh, been in place if the universe blew up 13 and a half billion years ago. George Smoot, uh, the astronomer at uh, UCAL Berkeley, said what we have found is evidence for the birth of the universe. And it's like looking at God. So sometimes people beef on the Big Bang and they think that it's, you know, somehow it's opposed to the Bible, right? But the Big Bang is describing a how. It's not describing, again, the why. Um, So let's look at the Big Bang versus the Bible. Genesis 1 is not a scientific explanation of how the universe was formed, Genesis 1 is a revelation to teach people of every age and from every era that God created the universe by his word. So I believe the big bang. God spoke and bang it was. What's the first verse in the Bible? I bet you know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the rest of Genesis 1, you have this visual, right? where you see the, the, that, that creation uh, expo, explore, explored. Um, so here is the Kalam cosmological argument restated. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Now, I, again, I, it's not a cult. I'm just trying to keep you with me. Will you say that for me? Say whatever begins to exist has a cause. It gets you engaged. I'm sorry, it does. It sounds like I'm having a chance or something, but that's not what I'm doing. I just want you involved. Whatever begins to exist has a cause for its existence, okay? The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, I would invite you to memorize that little argument, okay? Okay? It's just a, a simple deductive argument, major premise, minor premise, conclusion, right? Um, so let's look at impossible causes. Nothing cannot cause something. Would you agree? Okay, so I've done this experiment before. Uh, we don't have much more time, but here's what I want you to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to clock off 10 seconds. I've got this nifty watch that will clock off 10 seconds. So when I say go, I want you to close your eyes and think of nothing. You ready? 10 seconds is all. It's okay. Nobody will grab you. Go. That's 10 seconds. So how did that go? How how was your nothing? What was your nothing like? Kind of like static. You know, you it, maybe you know you're like me, and you're, maybe I'm starting to get like some sort of an eye problem. There's little squirrelies that come through when I close my eyes. These like little worms that that climb around and so forth. You probably heard our little kids upstairs tromping in, around, and around. You're like, no, I'm thinking of nothing, nothing, nothing. nothing. But the reality is, even Nothing, the concept nothing, is something. Do you understand? Even nothing is a definable idea, so it's something. When we're talking about the universe coming from nothing, we're talking about absolutely nothing. Now, scientists will often say, well, the universe came from nothing, but they're really not referring to philosophical nothing or nothingness. They're talking about, you know, the false vacuum or some sort of uh, uh, energy field or all of these different explanations. Theologians will talk about the universe coming into existence ex nihilo or ex nihilo, which means from nothing. But what that really means is from the resources of God who is outside of the spatio-temporal universe. Okay? From nothing, nothing comes. Try that. Just remember that. The universe came from something, somewhere. So the question is, what is the most likely cause of the universe, all right? So we're going to go down a few slides there. There's that, that slide that says nothing, okay? And then the slide that says from nothing, nothing comes. And now we're going to go to this slide, Autumn, that says some immaterial uncaused cause must be the cause, right? William Lane Craig says, it follows that if the universe has a cause of its existence, that cause must be non-physical, because everything physical is contingent. That means something else causes it. So this must be something non-physical, immaterial, and beyond space and time. Now, there are only two sorts of things that could fit that description. Either an abstract, abstract object, like a number, can a number cause anything? Numbers can't cause anything. Numbers can be used to describe things, right? But a number can't cause anything. An abstract idea can't cause anything. Or an unembodied mind. Abstract objects can't cause anything. We've got to have an immaterial, uncaused cause beyond space and time. We must have a mind, which is also a personal being. Why would the mind need to be personal, Because it must be uncaused. Well, the only thing that we know anything about that is capable of producing a cause without being caused is something, or I should say someone, a mind with a will, free choice. Now, you've been very, very patient. Some of you are just not intellectually interested, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. This has just been too many words and too many ideas, and you're like, "Uh, okay, but to your credit, you continue to look at me and kind of smile. Well, some of you, um, you didn't get up and leave, but you could, right? I'm not inviting you. I, I want you to stay there for a little while longer, right? But if you wanted to, is anybody holding you down in your chair there, right? Has any duress been applied in your situation where you know you feel like that if you get up from your chair, you're going to lose your job or somebody's going to throw a spitball at the back of your head or. Something like that. No, you, you're choosing to see, you chose to come to church today. I mean, you got out of bed and you, you did that. Nobody caused you. Nobody forced you. Now, you know, some of the kids, you're making your kids come and, you know, huh, they might have rather sat at home and played on the Wii or something or whatever they play now, I don't know. Um, but nonetheless, a personal being has the ability to produce causes, to cause effects without a prior cause, right? That's why it makes sense that the cause of the universe is an unimaginable unimaginably powerful intelligent entity being mind person that is uncaused, right? What I'm trying to help you understand is that it is reasonable to believe in God. You're not a fool for believing in God. In fact, the Bible says you're a fool for not believing in God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, right? Um, and then it, that's uh, Psalm 14.1 and also 53.1 that's, that's repeated, right? And then S- Psalm 10.4 says, uh, in, uh, th- the wicked does not think of God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God, right? It's reasonable to believe in God. God, by definition, is necessary or uncaused. He is, by definition, uncreated. God exists beyond time and space. He's all-powerful. He possesses limitless intelligence, and he is a person with free will. Interestingly, that sounds like the God spoken of in the Bible. Now, I know I've quoted a few verses here and there, but all of this has been rational argument. I've been trying to show you that it is intelligent. It is reasonable to believe in God. The God spoken of in the Bible is is a creator who possesses all of the necessary qualities listed. Therefore, the Bible's God is the most likely candidate to cause the existence of the universe. And there it is. I quoted it. You quoted it earlier. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um. I've gone over this with you before and we'll conclude here, but the, the name that God gave Moses to describe himself is, um, well, it's, it's four Hebrew letters, okay? Uh, go to the, the, the slide that has the little bush on fire, okay? It's four Hebrew letters, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, okay? And it means the being, the I am, all right? Uh, So now we get to this passage of scripture where God introduces himself. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. Now move to that next slide. There are those four Hebrew letters, the very top up there. And you read Hebrew from right to left, Right yod hey vav He. That's the proper name of God, of the God of Israel. Uh, the pronunciation Jehovah, which you may have heard used to, you know, be God's name, was unknown until 1520 when it was introduced by a man named Galatinus. But it is it was contested against grammatical and historical propriety. Many recent scholars explain, uh, well, I won't get into that, that, Essentially, what they did is they took the vowels for Adonai, which means Lord, and put them over the consonants for Yahweh. And what they were doing is signaling a reader not to say the name of God. Why? What is the third commandment? Yeah, you don't use the Lord's name in vain or in an empty way. So the the Jews created fences around that and they said, well, we're not going to say his name at all because we might break the commandment. We might not be saying it in a meaningful way. So what they did, many, many years after the Hebrew Bible was written, a group called the Masoretes were uh, copying it and they put vowel points over all of these letters because Hebrew doesn't have any natural vowels. You know, it can be, uh, I think, argued that Aleph is more like a vowel, but it doesn't have natural vowels. So um, many, many years later, they were no longer speaking Hebrew in order to properly pronounce the Hebrew Bible, they put these vowel points, which were just uh, a way of helping people to understand how to pronounce things, okay? So let's just think about it this way. Um, The word syllable. Do I pronounce it syllable or syllable? Syllable. Or syllable, there's at the end. But if I didn't know, if I didn't speak English and I spoke a language where, you know, you had a final E with an accent on it all the time, I might say syllable. How many syllables are in syllable? Right. So what they did is they put things like accent marks over them and that helped them to pronounce it. OK, but we believe that it is Yahweh. Um, Isaiah 43.10, God says before me, no God was formed, nor, sh- nor shall there be any after me. Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And of course, in the beginning, God. And then we get to the New Testament uh, and we opened with this. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. So let's conclude. You ask yourself, why am I here, right? You're contingent. We've already made that case you were put on earth at this time in this place so that you may seek and find God. That's why you're here today in this room. Even if you think you already believe in God, you're here because God called you here and somehow you heard that call and he wants you to seek him and find him. Listen to what the apostle Paul said to a group of philosophers at the Areopagus in Athens. He said, from one man, God, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that, in order that, they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Jesus reveals God. I would say You need to seek Jesus, become like Jesus, right? He's the one that reveals God. That's what the entirety of the book of John was all about, right? So um, you were very patient. That's really two forms of the cosmological argument, right? Hopefully, that helps you to clear away some of the clutter, some of the doubt that might be on the road between you and God. Now, you may still have some emotional beefs with God, but you're a fool to say he doesn't exist because you don't like the way he does business or the way he like, don't like the way he does things, right? First scripture that I teach my karate kids, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? So learn to fear him, learn to trust his son.